I'm wearing a crop top t-shirt and bike shorts because it's 89 degrees in my bedroom. I'm so hot. Yes, you are. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, let's dive into the intro. Yes. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your hosts, Miss. And Kevin. Your friendly neighborhood queers. Mm. Let's dive So how was your weekend? Or your week, I should say. Yeah, my week has been good so far. We Ben yeah. and I are, are knee deep in planning our wedding. Uh-huh. We met up with our wedding planner and that was good. She yeah. keeps telling us that we are ahead of the curve. So that means good things. Nice. Yeah, yeah. that's great. It's very good. Yeah, so it's been great. It's also stressful as all of hell. Of course. But ultimately it's it's very fun, and I'm very much yeah. looking forward to it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You're going to be there, well, right? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I'm i thinking about it. I, know, I don't you, know where you I'm You said pending be. on the RSVP, I don't know. and you know, I don't, I don't know, know how, how to work feel. with that. Well, why don't we change it to like a, a tentative maybe? I will be glad to RSVP <laughs> as pending. <laughs> pending. <laughs> yes, I RSVP to my best friend's wedding as a maybe. <laughs> As a, I'll think about it. Yes, I will, of course, be there. I was trying, I, I tried to think about what I was going to wear, and then I uh-huh. just couldn't handle the, the idea of making that kind of decision. So I was like, we <laughs> will handle this in March. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, so that, that's been my week. It's literally been wedding heavy, and Good. I've been happy with that. How has your week been, babe? Um, uneventful. Work has been Good. Yeah, I would say yes. Work has been pretty good. I am studying. I know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't need to hear about it. I'm doing okay. No, at this Just, point, I feel like people might be concerned if you said you weren't studying. Which no, is no, no, that would that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. No, no, definitely studying, meeting those expectations, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> and working on the show. Yeah, it's been a pretty busy week. It's gonna be. The next few weeks are going to be really interesting. Are going to be super interesting. <laughs> yeah, we're not. We're both not entirely sure how the rest no. of February is going to go. So stay tuned, y'all. It's in for a bumpy ride. You know, <laughs> I appreciate your patience in advance. Yes, I'm not anticipating anything happening, but I don't know if you've ever yeah. studied for like a board exam or anything like that. You can you can understand it's a challenging time. Yes. And also for Miss to be taking the two, two and a half hours on a Sunday for us mm-hmm. to record an episode, that alone is carving out yeah. time where it shouldn't be carved out. She's yeah. doing this for y'all. 
for you yeah, all. No, this ke- this gets keeps me going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is my motivator and incentivizer. This and cats. That and cats. Yes. Well, you do it flawlessly. <laughs> I love you. that you do it, and I love that Thanks. we do it. I love it too. We're amazing, and everyone's oh God, finding out about stop, us. I can't stop talking about how great I am personally, <laughs> outside of my relationship with you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, everything's going pretty well. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am in a much better spot than I was the first time I took it. So can't complain. Snaps for miss. Snaps for miss. And this is our 12th episode, and that means it's been three consecutive months of us doing this, churning out stuff. It doesn't seem that long. It truly doesn't. Yeah. To me. And it truly keeps getting funner and funner. Oh, for sure. Definitely. It's the highlight of my everything. Well, it's the highlight of my weekend Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to record with you. Yes, me too. Okay. Second highlight. Biggest highlight, sleeping. It's okay. my favorite. Fair. Sleeping. But second is this. And it just like, it just is like everything I didn't know uh-huh. I needed. Like my job does such a good job now of engaging my brain in a way mm-hmm. that is annoying, but I need for sanity reasons. And then this engages my brain for fun reasons. And I guess my only two things I like to do for work or for fun is research. <laughs> Me too. And book reports. <laughs> and the last two episodes have been such yeah. a phenomenal response from everyone. We've got some new listeners. We have to. And so, like, thank you guys and gals and days that are out there. Yeah. Thank you so much for Thanks, listening. Y'all. And we truly hope you love what we're putting out. And if you have any suggestions on how to improve the show or what you people want to hear, please thank let you. us know. You know, reach out to us. We we are open eared. Yeah, love suggestions. And we love Especially suggestions. When my brain doesn't work. Yes, we also <laughs> love ratings. Go ahead and give us a five star rating oh, yeah. or subscribe. We would love that. Yeah. That helps truly. Definitely. Just know for sure we have some amazing content lined up for the next few months. I've already planned yeah. out stories that I'm doing for the next few weeks. I'm so happy. I haven't planned anything because i can't i I exactly but listen i'll tell you what come march yes i'll have a portfolio together for you (laughs) a portfolio vroom vroom she's gonna be on the loose (laughs) i am i'm very excited for today's episode are you yes because i i feel like you will have a great time okay well now i'm very excited i mean not that i wasn't before i mean i would have a great time no matter what I know. That's, um, I did not mean, yeah, I didn't mean to say it that way. What I meant to say was. Yeah. Like, do you think I'm having a horrible time? over? <laughs> <laughs> no, what I meant to say was, I know that you will have a lot to talk about with this episode. Will I? Well, yes. you know, I love to hear the sound of my own voice. <sighs> Just kidding. So today's episode, I am so excited for. Are you? Please tell me everything. I'm not even going to ask you if you know the story or not, because you fucking do. Okay. Yeah. So we are going to take a journey today mm-hmm. and listeners do not judge me or miss if our voices kind of go into any kind of Baltimore accent because, oh no, you know, because this, this story that I'm going to tell you today is straight from our hometown. <gasps> what is oh that? yeah. Oh, today, my child. 
We're going to uh-huh. be talking about Baltimore's own spree killer m- murder. Hold on. <laughs> you got it. You did it really good. Thank you. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Baltimore's own spree killer, manhunt enthusiast, <gasps> and hostage seizure, uh-huh. Joe Palzinski. Yes! I'm so excited! Yes, bitch. Yes! 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 Ooh, yes! Okay. Uh-huh. One of our early forays into true crime. Hell yes. We were okay. not in the thick of it, but we fucking lived during it. And no. we, I vividly. It was literally 15 minutes away from where we lived. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, my dad lived there yeah, at the time. That's right. And we were all very much enthralled and terrified for those, what? Oh my God, yeah. Two weeks? Yeah. It was very, very scary. Oh God, yes. And so we're going to talk oh. about that. I can't wait to hear about how you experienced that. Um, <laughs> and as I was researching the story, yes, I don't know if you've read anything more about the story itself and what we've all, as a, I guess, as a city mm-hmm. knew about him and the story itself with the manhunt, with the hostage situation, mm-hmm. because so many things that of his past mm-hmm. are equally horrific. He was really? a monster. Was he? I did not know that. I didn't either. I mean, I knew he had this. And to be fair, we were... How old were were we? I was 11. I think you were 11 too because it was March of 2000. Yeah, so we were turning 12. Yeah, we were turning 12 that year. So it was peripheral. But I was very into it. But not until I was older, if I'm going to be honest. Because I Mm -hmm. remember in high school, once we got the Google... Yes. (laughs) I remember looking it up for something. Jujulet. I remember looking it up for whatever reason, and then a few years ago, I think a podcast like mentioned it, so I like mm-hmm, looked mm-hmm. it up briefly, but no, I don't really know much about it. That's always great for these kinds of episodes. I'm I have so a lot excited. of information. I'm so yeah. excited. So before I go into the story, listeners, if you have never heard of him, he held Baltimore captive for two Hostage. weeks. Hostage. He actually kept people hostage, but mm-hmm. he also kept our city hostage because mm-hmm. he ended up murdering four people. Mm-hmm. He kidnapped his estranged girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And when she escaped from him, he then went on the lam. He went mm-hmm. rogue and no one could find him. The FBI was not able to locate him. Baltimore police were not able to locate him. So it was a manhunt that lasted days. I'm talking almost two weeks yeah. that he was unaccounted for. So yeah. as 11-year-olds... And as a young, dramatic queerling that I was, <laughs> Miss and I did not know each other when we, we were 11. No. So no, we went to different schools. Two more years. But I vividly remember looking out the window in my sixth grade classroom, looking out into the woods, you know, trying to look for him because that's what people kept saying. Mm-hmm. Like he was running around. You had to be, like you know, eagle-eyed. Yards. Yes. Yeah. That's what I and remember. And no place was safe. City, suburbs, woods, he he could have been anywhere. Yeah. I remember the news saying when the manhunt was happening, like he'd been spotted in this person's backyard mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or this person's garden or stealing from this place. Like I remember oh, yeah. that's what I remember. And that's why it was so scary. I mean yes. we were we were babies. We, we were, were babies. School. So like we were just like so I kinda part of me thought it was very cool because mm-hmm. like We were on the news. We were on the news. Yeah, basically. (laughs) And it was kind of exciting. And then I remember like people being like very scared. 
Oh, hell yes. Very, very concerned. Shops would close down early. People would walk around with bats. Yeah, everybody was home before dark. Yes. It was Mm -hmm. terrifying and exciting in equal measure because nothing like this had happened, especially in our lifetime, but I don't know about before that. And so it was a wild, wild time. And Uh. it really imprints on you. And again, I remember being so dramatic. (laughs) I have, Miss can attest to this. She is my external hard drive. I don't have a great memory of my childhood. Um, There are certain things that I do remember vividly. And one of those is I remember sitting in my sixth grade classroom writing out a will in case Joe Palzinski got me. (laughs) (laughs) That's really kind of sad. Who the fuck knew what I was going to be bequeathing? But here we are. My Britney Spears CD, I go, I give to my friend, Brooke. (laughs) My drawings of Cher that I made with my Crayola markers, I give to my mother. They were so good. Oh, God, my favorite. The best thing thing your mother ever did was show me those. Oh, God. Show me those beautiful pictures of baby Kevin drawing Cher as a very young child. Very young. Your mother didn't know. My mother had no clue that I was gay. All right. Sorry, I'm getting caught up in middle school memories. I know, right? We were walking down memory lane, and I think everyone listening is actually getting a kick out of it. (laughs) I don't think I was doing any of that. I think I was like just looking around because Uh (laughs) 11-year-old Miss. Uh huh. (laughs) She didn't really have a lot of defenses. (laughs) She did not have a lot of defenses. I'll tell you that. (laughs) 11-year-old Kevin couldn't do anything. His defense was what? He could do the "Oops, I did it again" dance. You very much could, but you you did karate. Were I sure you did. Karate. You kind of karateed him. You were like a big deal black belt. That could have taken yeah. him. Yeah, we are going to dive into this story because yes. there is so much that happened before all of that. Okay, and that I'm very interested. I thought he was just like a dude who just like cracked, just like went off the deep end. Oh, if only. So here we go, babe. Strap Minute. in. Strap in and strap on. In his last days, Joseph Palzinski, the 31-year-old Baltimore man, followed through on a persistent threat to harm the family of any girlfriend who dared leave him and kill anyone who got in his way. I had no idea he was 31. I am picturing haggard Mm -hmm. East Baltimore, Mm -hmm. like late 40s. And doing this research, I ended up going on YouTube and they have three hour long videos of the like coverage that WJZ did. Yes. And I've watched that. That's what I watched a few years ago. It was very surreal. It was surreal. surreal. Yes. Mm -hmm. In March 2000, those plans were enacted in which four lives were taken, including someone that was pregnant. For two weeks, it held the citizens of Baltimore spellbound in horror. Countless crimes were committed between Maryland and Virginia until it ended with a violent four-day hostage situation in Baltimore's Dundalk neighborhood, one of the longest standoffs of its kind in the U.S., even to this day. Really? Yeah. I don't think I realized it was four days long. I know about, like, the end, like, the hostage situation. That's mainly Mm -hmm. what I know about. And uh, I did not realize that it was four days I think long. technically 97 hours, which is a little less than four days. I do know that the end of the hostage situation, I have a lot of opinions about. So let's get to it. Yes, ma'am. I do too. 
I have a lot of opinions. We are so going to talk about it. (laughs) So before I begin, if you or someone you know is in need of help with domestic violence, please reach out to your local shelter or visit www.hotline.org or dial 1-800-799-SAFE. And the good thing about hotline.org is if you click on backspace twice, it will automatically redirect to a Google search site in case anyone's looking behind your back. Oh, that's wonderful. That's yeah. crazy. That is so yeah. nice. <laughs> Sorry, I just went through a whole gamut of emotions, but there's a lot of scary situations that can come up when someone is trying to reach out for help. So that's an incredibly useful Absolutely. Like, tool. That's and again, wonderful. it's www.hotline.org. So while most who've heard of the name Joe Palzinski, like myself and like Miss, know of the murders, the manhunt, and the hostage situation, his backstory is equally horrific. When those events took place, Miss and I were in middle school. We were just talking about how I vividly remember making a a will to leave things in case Joe Palzinski got me. If I got got. (laughs) Tiny baby Kevin got (laughs) got. Yes. I guarantee you I was not thinking about that. Um, no. I don't even think I knew what a will was when I was 11. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to be honest because mm-hmm. I tend to underreact. I come sure. from a line of underreactors. <laughs> yes. So let's start with the backstory of Joe Pauzinski, who, by the okay. way, his nickname was Joby. All of his friends and girlfriends who knew him was Joby. He was known as a ladies' man. He had GQ looks. He had a buff body. Mm. He drove expensive cars, sports cars. He was a bad boy, that kind of type that would attract women, particularly younger Mm -hmm. ones, unfortunately. Gross. Yeah. I'm looking it up now because heartthrob, I do not remember him being. I mean, in some of those pictures, he could get it. I can see it. He had sandy brown hair. He had hazel Mm -hmm. eyes, endlessly polite You know, Mm -hmm. he'd buy you flowers and gifts and take you horseback riding and arrange picnic lunches in the park. You know, he's been locked up before, but you, Mm -hmm. and you really tune it out when he blames the other girls for getting him in trouble. You know, you're nothing like them. Joby liked people to be afraid of him. He actually thrived on it. Palzinski's male friends were almost always younger than he was, which is, you know, a telltale sign Mm -hmm. of like a power dynamic. He wanted to always be in control and feel superior to anybody. Those young friends were always easily impressed by those cars and the weapons that he had. And in that circle, toughness equaled status and guns added to that equation. It was the same dynamic that Mm -hmm. he used with the teenagers he dated. Out of all of his dastardly actions against his female victims, Palzinski only went to jail twice. Hmm. But when he was released, there was always another girlfriend or, you know, better yet, another victim. With each soured relationship and each trip to court, Joby grew more afraid of returning to jail, became more paranoid about it. Hmm. He would do whatever it took to force his victims to drop their charges. That's great. I know. At one point, he even masterminded a campaign of intimidation from inside Baltimore County Detention Center, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Yeah. And for Joby, March of 2000 was a vicious turning point. And that's when Tracy Whitehead had him arrested for beating her. And another how dare assault. She? I know. How the fuck dare she? And he knew that another assault conviction was going to violate his probation and 
send him to jail for yep. probably 10 years. At that point, Joby felt like he had yeah. nothing to lose. I mean... <laughs> like, but in his mind... <laughs> I mean, there's still a lot. I mean, he was young. Yeah, 10 years was. is it's a very long time to be in jail, but you're still only going to be 40. Yep. <laughs> Let's go ahead. Before we talk about the story that Miss and I are very familiar with, let's take it back. Mm-hmm. And we're going to okay. take it back to the late 80s. Let's. Uh, 1987, in fact. Shoulder pads, crimped hair, Rick Astley's never going to give you up, and Whitney's I want to dance with somebody were the hits. <laughs> Over the span of 13 years, Joe Pauzinski had lured at least seven young, and I mean young women, into fantasy mm-hmm. relationships. And one by one, each discovered the truth about Joby's dangerously controlling personality. And I'm going to talk about some of those relationships now. In 1987, Amy was 16 when they met while attending Perry Hall High School. No! Face crack. Melissa shook her. He went to Perry Hall High School. <laughs> You've been waiting. I was so ready that I could not wait. Yes. <laughs> I literally had no idea. Terre Haute High School is real. where we attended high school, we, y'all. Yes. We attended high school. Go Gators. Go Gators, Wait, yes. <laughs> so I think 87, actually. He was a senior. Okay. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. Side note. The same year and location where many scenes of John's Waters hairspray was filmed. That it was same, the year, same year. Summer oh, of 1987. And here I thought we had nothing, we had really nothing going for us. I mean, I knew about the hairspray thing. That's very cool. <laughs> John Waters filmed the original hairspray. All the school scenes were at Perry Hall High School where we went to school. That's so, right. The five-month relationship and courtship between Amy and Joe Pelzinski and Joby was far mm-hmm. from ideal. He told her he had two personalities. Joby number oh, one good. was calm and rational. And Joby number two was angry and strange. <laughs> I wasn't expecting strange. I'm not either. I was funny. reading that and I was like, that's... <laughs> I'm keeping that in. I'm going to quote no, that. <laughs> that's, that's a really, I was not expecting strange. So with Amy, she was 16. He was 19 at the time. Fine. Their relationship ended in the summer when she went on a family vacation to Ocean City, Maryland. Nice. And mm-hmm. he drove out there. He came across her sitting, eating ice cream on the boardwalk. He ran over and beat her, punched her, brought her what? to the ground. The police ended up being called onto the boardwalk, and he somehow was able to, like, talk the police out of doing anything. Yeah, it was 1987. 1987. It was Ocean City. I don't, you know. So after that, he forced her and Amy's brother out to the beach. It was at nighttime. So he made them walk out to the beach. I guess it was just her and her brother, but I can't really say anything. Yeah, I, I believe her parents were not present for that, yes. But it was not a fun experience for Amy or her brother. No. He forced them out to the beach. I believe Mm -hmm. he had a gun at the time, or at least a knife. And he threatened to kill her if her brother didn't punch her. And her brother refused. And so what Joe Palzinski did is he took her brother's hands and fists and physically beat her with him. What the fuck is happening? So she broke up with him. Her family goes on vacation and then he stalks her. Yes. And then 
beats her with her brother's hands? Beats her bloody. Yes. This was on the vacation. When he was done with the beating, it was like something kind of flipped in him and he ended up crying and apologizing to her. That's very, that happens so often. So often. You're just like, like rage. And then they're just like, oh no, what did so I So he do? let her go. And when she got treated at the medical shacks that, you mm-hmm. know, that they have along yeah. the coastal highway, she then, she and her family ended up pressing charges. Thank God. Of course. Of course. Yes. Yeah. While those charges were pending, the next year, Mm -hmm. 1988, he meets another girl named Kimberly. And she was 16 when he blackened her eye and knocked her down to her knees and threatened her with a razor blade because he found Kim's birth control pills. And apparently he just didn't like that she was taking them. Power. That's all And he he was 20 years old at the time. Yeah, no, that's in abusive relationships. That's very common mm-hmm. for the abuser to be upset by something like that. Mm-hmm. Especially, I mean, because a baby is a great way to force a, oh, yes. a woman to stay with you. Yes. So why would he take that? I mean, listen, I don't know if that's true. I'm not a psychology expert, but I will but. say in my experience, that type of behavior, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's just pure control and power. That's all exactly. It is. And Kim it's ended worse. up reaching out to Amy, his first victim, for solace oh, and also asking for help on how to escape him. I think you have to file a lawsuit. <laughs> yeah. <sounds> like. <laughs> Kim too ended up pressing charges. Good. Yeah. Um, in 1988, Pelzinski was convicted of beating up Kim, the second victim, and he was sentenced to oh. two years of supervised probation. Yeah. It, I mean, it was a first offense, I guess. Perhaps. Yeah. It was an earlier yeah. charge. And yeah. then following that in January of 1989, very shortly after, as he mm-hmm. was facing Amy's charges, he pled mm-hmm. not guilty by reason of insanity. And a psychiatrist... Uh... <laughs> And a psychiatrist found him competent to stand trial. And he was actually later sentenced to four years in prison, but he would only serve two years of that sentence. Yeah, no, insanity under the law is not what most people think it is. Almost. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it is Mm -hmm. sheerly whether or not the person at the time of the crime understands the difference between right and wrong. That is the McNaughton standard. Generally speaking, that's exactly what it is. Each state sort of has their own definition of what, you know, quote unquote, insanity under the law is. But that is generally speaking. It's generally the defect or disease of the mind that prevents you from understanding what you're doing is wrong. It's either you don't know the act that you're taking or Mm -hmm. it's like you are hallucinating that you are in a different scenario. So when you're like raising some, like, you know, you're raising a weapon to strike somebody, maybe you're hallucinating that this is a dragon and you're slaying a dragon, but it's actually your mother-in-law. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Again, he was sentenced Mm -hmm. to four years in prison. He had served two years when he was released. And in 1991, which is where we're at now, his next victim, named Sharon, was 17 years old when he attacked her at her school by assaulting her in the school's lobby, pushing her and shoving her against the brick wall, and I believe punching her, threatening to blow her brains out. And he was 21 at the time. Okay, was there any? <laughs> if it was in the lobby, was there? I don't know. The assistant principal any did people come nearby. 
Yes, the assistant mm-hmm. principal did come by and I believe, you know, forced him off the grounds and, and obviously told him he is not allowed to be on the grounds for any reason. Well, he's a 21-year-old man without a child, so right. there's no reason he should be in a school whatsoever. All, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sharon, after that, filed charges over that abuse and Palzinski began harassing her and her family to intimidate them mm-hmm. into dropping their charges. Ended up not working. Oh, good. He failed at that. And they ended up tacking on more charges because of all yeah. those threatening phone calls that he would make and the kind That's of stalking. That's an additional crime. Yes, yeah, it is. That's... So in November of 1991, Palzinski mm-hmm. was arrested again and held at the Baltimore County Detention Center. But in uh, a week or so, he was sent to a hospital for a psychiatric evaluation. Well, it sounds like uh, something's definitely going on. Something's definitely going on. He ended up escaping yeah. that facility, and he ended nice. up using his <laughs> and he used his friend's <laughs> ID to get out. And he ended up fleeing to Idaho. So he spent some time in Idaho. Yeah, and in early 1992, what? yeah, in early 1992, police were alerted by a 15 year old girl from Gooding, Idaho. Mm-hmm who was assaulted by a man who fit Palzinski's description. Again, he was 22 at the time, and she was 15. That's disgusting. When the mother of the teen filed... No, no, no. When the mother of that 15-year-old teen filed charges, he became so paranoid about returning to jail because now it was a federal issue. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. You cross state lines, buddy. And listen, especially back here, they... uh, in the early 90s, it was yeah. very much a shoot first. <laughs> yes. On the morning of January 17th, 1992, that Maryland fugitive that we know as Joe Pazinski barricaded himself in an apartment in Idaho and told police he would kill himself and shoot any person in a nearby parking lot if the police advanced on him. After nearly 16 hours, a SWAT team hit the apartment with tear gas. Palzinski was apprehended and eventually extradited back to Maryland. <laughs> what did what? you just draw? I don't know. It's something metallic. What? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Foreshadowing. It wasn't even the first time. <laughs> it was not even the first time. I guess he wanted to break his record. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, but this was not a hostage situation. Yes, yes. No, fine. But I just, I can't. Sorry, buddy. I upset my cat. I... <laughs> I cannot, I can't get over it. I know. And this I'm shit screaming. floored me when I read about all this. I was like, holy shit. Holy fuck balls. Serious? I had no idea about this guy. Oh, yeah. Strap in, baby. Strap I in. I honestly had a little bit of sympathy for him. I thought maybe he just like went off the deep end and just like had like a mental break and then just went on like a, a crazy spree. No, ma'am, Pam. He has been erased. <laughs> uh, eliminated. Eliminated. So with his extradition back to Maryland, uh-huh. and for those crimes, he was sent to Federal Correctional Institution in Petersburg, Virginia, and spent the next three years navigating, or some would say exploiting, the federal mental health system in hopes of being deemed, <laughs> quote, insane. That was his goal. That's lofty. lofty Friends goal, close to him buddy. would s- later say that Palzinski told them how easy it was to manipulate judges and doctors. 
Yeah. In the course of his evaluations, Kalzinski told a federal psychologist that he had illegally purchased a gun at a pawn shop to kill, quote, the ninjas who were trying to kill him when he cut his wrists twice, once deeply enough to require stitches. He told a psychologist a voice told him to do it. Oh. So he was just taking like, I heard this in that movie. I've got, I Which heard is that why in that movie. the psychologist deemed him to be diagnosed with schizophrenia, paranoid mm. type. Which meant the criteria of legal insanity, which was a decision that led yeah. to him being found not guilty on federal weapons charges. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I will say it's a lot easier to do back then, but... Uh-huh, yeah. Good for- Good for him. Good for you. You played the game and you won. Yeah, good for you. (laughs) 15 months of court-ordered treatments at a number of government facilities. Palzinski Uh appeared to have made a complete recovery and was deemed extremely stable by federal psychologists. I wonder what his diagnosis actually would be. It ran the gamut. He was diagnosed throughout his time as being bipolar, as schizophrenic, as having a personality disorder, as being nothing of those, to being just a misogynist and a fucking power-hungry asshole. If I could just put my armchair psychologist degree. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) I just, I I am just genuinely interested, like, what his actual diagnosis would be, but Yeah, me too. Well, we will never know. He ended up leaving the facilities with a clean bill of health. Good and for luckily for him, he no longer faced prosecution for the 1991 Ugh. beating of 17-year-old Sharon because his lawyer argued successfully that his right to a speedy trial had been denied. Come 1995, his next victim, Michaela, mm-hmm. was 17 when he choked her and slammed her against the shower tiles on Christmas Day. He was 25, oh, but he told her that he was 20. Oh, so also when you're examining whether or not someone is insane, you uh-huh. also look to whether or not they do anything to cover up their actions or their crime. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. under the law, whether or not it's true, under the law, that shows that denotes that you, have that an you under- understand yes. the gravity of what you're doing, at least to the extent that you would cover it up. Right. And according to Michaela's uh, affidavit, when she pressed charges after that beating on Christmas Day, it was like a light switch. Apparently, one minute he was forcing her against the bathroom tiles, and she ended up Mm -hmm. bleeding on a white shirt that he got her, and he made her clean the blood out in minutes, or else he was going to like beat her bloody again. I hate this motherfucker. I hate him. Next minute, he was cooking dinner. He made steak and corn on the cob and mashed potatoes, and he lit candles it's, for the dinner. Oh, that's just that's just classic abuse cycle bullshit. Yeah, he did something. He felt bad about it, so he lavished her with gifts or you know something mm-hmm. nice. Michaela's father got into a fight with Palzinski when he noticed the bruises on his daughter. The scuffle mm. sent the father to the hospital with four broken ribs and a split lip that required stitches. Jesus Christ. Michaela ended up pressing charges for those Christmas Day beatings she endured, and Palzinski was again arrested and, while in jail, began an intimidation campaign on Michaela and her father. He had his male friends drive around her neighborhood and park outside her house and place of work to look at her. How old was she? 17. Jesus. Her father's car was vandalized. It was scratched up. Someone had poured sugar into the gas tank. 
Pausinski made two teenage females that he had courted, uh, I guess, lie. Ew, okay. He had those two females write a false affidavit lying to authorities claiming that Michaela's father had threatened them. And he told those girls that if they wouldn't do it, he would kill their family and them. So they better get on it. One of the girls ended up falsifying a document and mailed it to him while he was in jail to like try and get him off her back. And he saw through that immediately, called her right back up. And he's like, do you think this is some kind of fucking game? I told you to go and do this. Do this right now. And she did. That's when she went and filed that police report saying that Michaela's father was threatening and intimidating her. Yeah. I mean, what else was she supposed to do? Right. He desperately wanted Michaela's charges to get dropped against him because he didn't want to go back to prison. And Michaela's father, because of those trumped up charges that those girls put. Dropped everything? Yeah. He was arrested upwards of three times because of those false allegations. Even to the point where they were, I believe him and Joe Patzinski were in the same jail at the time. And the father had to have a label put on him saying this prisoner needs to be kept away from Joe Pazinski. Yeah. And ultimately, though, one of those girls recanted and they ended up taping a conversation that she had with the other accomplice about why they lied, why they did it. And a judge ultimately dismissed those charges against Michaela's father. Not before the damage was done, though. Right. Lawyer's fees, job loss, all of that shit. Yes. Reputation. Yeah. Oh, so unsuccessful in getting Michaela's charges dropped against him, Joby ended up pleading guilty to charges of battery and witness intimidation. Good. He received suspended sentences mm. from Judge John G. Turnbull, mm. and the court put him on probation and simply ordered him to stay away from Michaela and her family when he was released on probation. We are now up to 1996. Stacy, his new victim, had just turned 17 when Joe grabbed her by the neck shoved her against a wall, and threatened to throw her off a balcony. He was 26 at the time, but again, he told his latest victim that he was 20. In November, Stacy and her parents, they got lucky. Joby ended up going to jail because his convictions in Michaela's case ended up violating the terms of his probation from his 1991 hospital escape charges. So a judge sentenced him to serve three years in a facility on the eastern shore of Maryland, which is a three-hour drive away from Baltimore. Yes, it is. The judge in that trial was quoted as saying, this man is dangerous. He's out there hurting people. I can't believe any human being can make so many mistakes and be given so many chances and not appreciate it. Finally, somebody can see that. (laughs) And I do not feel, from what I've heard, That the mental state is anywhere near as much of an excuse as he tries to use it to be. Hmm, Probably Probably true. true. So he was sent off to jail. Who knows? Yeah, he was sent off to jail. Finally, in 1998, after his release from prison, he met Tracy Whitehead, the last of his girlfriends. She was 20 at the time. So, you know. Old. Old, yes. Old. <laughs> he met her while she was working at a grocery store, <laughs> and uh, he started God. showing up there constantly, trying to woo her. It'd be two years later from when they met, when he murdered the couple sheltering her and then kidnapped and terrorized her. He'd be 31 at that time. So oh he met God. them. He met her when he was 29 years old. And, of course, this is the story that Miss I and most Baltimoreans mm-hmm. are familiar with. Right. This is the only part of the story I've ever heard. All of that other shit happened long before 
we knew Joe Palzinski. So those tragic events with Tracy Whitehead and the story that Baltimore I, knows. Yeah. <laughs> God, we're just getting there. We're just getting I there. Had no idea. What a total fucking monster he was. He sure was. He sure God, Baltimore, was. You've done it again. Done, done, done it again. <laughs> So here we are, Saturday, March 4th, the year 2000, and Palzinski <laughs> was arrested on assault charges for beating up Tracy Whitehead when she tried to move out of their apartment together. She was mm-hmm. ready to break off the relationship. Yeah. She found an apartment, but it wasn't going to be ready for a couple days. So Oof. she decided to leave early anyway. The mm-hmm. following day after he was arrested, Palzinski is released on $7,500 bond, regardless of his rap sheet. Of domestic violence. Well, I mean, this is where it gets tricky, Kevin. It is. Because, you know, how do you reconcile, you know, your pretrial confinement? Yes. Yeah. Your belief that pretrial confinement, you know, can be argued to be unconstitutional considering Mm -hmm. our guilty until proven guilty. (laughs) Innocent until proven guilty standard in our country. And, you know, like we've discussed before, there are other measures to take besides uh-huh. incarceration. Yep. 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 There are definitely other measures to take. Unfortunately, there weren't any at this time. It no. was all or nothing, but I don't know. That sucks. So he was released on $7,500 bond. The next mm-hmm. day, which is a Monday, uh, March 5th, Pauzinski had a neighbor of his whose name was Constance Waugh, W-A-U-G-H. Constance ended up buying him a shotgun and a rifle, telling Constance, her, uh, and she knew full well that he was a convicted felon because he told her, I cannot buy firearms because of my criminal background. Can you buy these for me? And she, she went like, to, Hell yeah. yeah, she went out to White Marsh, uh, which is another, oh, uh, God, White Marsh. <laughs> which is another suburb Ooh. that we know quite well and went to two separate stores. One, she bought a shotgun and the other, she bought a rifle. Those were falsified records because you have to sign documents saying I'm buying this, you know, not for a convicted felon. <laughs> and she knowingly <laughs> I didn't know did. That was part of it. Yes. I didn't know that was part of it, but good, 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 good. Yes, and these were the weapons that would eventually be used in the murders and the hostage scheme. She. Uh, well, where Constance, the hell is Constance now? How she feel? Constance, Sorry. after this was revealed, she was arrested because she was charged with good. making a false statement in connection with purchase of a gun that is a fucking uh felony Mm -hmm. constance was convicted and she did serve 16 months in prison and she Mm -hmm. was ordered to pay upwards of four hundred and fifty thousand dollars to the victim's families there were three separate families she had to pay money to she declared bankruptcy Uh, so her insurance only shelled out a hundred thousand dollars that was split three ways. I mean, I'm surprised there was even that much. Yeah, that's what happened with Constance. Jesus, Constance. Yeah. So <clears throat> Tracy Whitehead, during this time, she sought refuge from Palzinski with her boss at the grocery store that she worked at. Her name was Gloria. Mm-hmm. And right, she, yeah. Gloria gave her solace. She said, look, you can come stay with us for a couple of days while your new apartment's getting ready. Um, you can stay with Oof. me and my husband, George. And... I believe Tracy also had a kid at the time or kids at the time. So they also went oh, with did her. She? I believe oh, I didn't so. I that. Yeah. Okay. She went to go stay with Gloria and George. And wow. on March Ugh. 7th, which is a Tuesday, Palzinski located her. Mm-hmm. He entered the Shank residence and shot and killed Gloria and George mm-hmm. in front of her and her kids. 
and oh, kidnapped Jesus. Whitehead from the Shanks apartment, pulling her out by her hair. Mm. And this is in uh, Dundalk? Dundalk? Is that where we are? Do you know? Yes, I do believe. Okay. Thought so. A neighbor overheard the commotion. His name was David Myers. He was 42 at the time. And he saw mm. Whitehead struggling to free herself from Palzinski outside of the apartment complex. He mm. went out there to try and help her. And that's when yep. Palzinski shot him dead. <gasps> right. And Mr. Myers died in the arms of his fiancée, Terry Conroy. And the couple oh. were planning on getting married in May of that year. So two months later. Oh, my God. That's horrible. I know. Speaking of marriage, Tracy Whitehead later told authorities he proposed to her, adding mm -hmm. that after he kidnapped her initially, brought her to the woods, he put a ring on her finger. She said, <laughs> he put a ring on my finger. He said he knew it wasn't good, good timing and it ain't never going to happen, <laughs> but he wanted to ask me anyway. And I said, yes. And I cried about it. Of course she said yes. It's yeah. the only way to stay alive. Good yes. for her. Yes. Good for her. Day, which is Wednesday. I know it's not the right time, babe. I know it's a little hectic right now, but just, <laughs> you know, you want to- Well, he said, I know this isn't going to end well, so th this is the only time to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, did he, I guess he sort of knew what was going to happen. Pretty much. The following day, which was a Wednesday, Palzinski, with Tracy in tow, shot and killed 36-year-old Jennifer Lynn McDonald to steal her car. He was actually yeah. unsuccessful for some reason. Because he's an idiot. Yeah. Jennifer Lynn McDonald, who was Jamaican native, had a one-year-old daughter, and she was pregnant <sighs> at the time. And she was on her way to church with her husband, who was in the car. Stop. During the carjacking, he shot at other passing cars, and a bullet... God. grazed a car shot into a car and grazed a two-year-old named gregory sims but he was <gasps> he survived he survived well yeah i was just oh but still but still god <laughs> yeah. imagine being that kid's mother jesus i know palzinski ended up carjacking an 81 year old woman and she was not mm -hmm. harmed but he was able Good. to steal her car, and he and tracy drove out onto pulaski highway to the l rich Oof. motel Oh, is that one of the no-tell motels? Perhaps. On Pulaski Highway? Yeah. Perhaps. Perhaps one. Palzinski saw McDonald's Perhaps. death and the carjacking reporting on the news in the motel. And he realized, oh, shit, my guns were left in the vehicle that he had just stolen. <laughs> so he was like, Tracy, I'm taking you outside. We have to go get my guns. <laughs> so when they left the motel door... Uh-huh. Tracy saw a police car that was kind of parked oh, in that general area. So she yeah, yeah. said, I knew he didn't have the weapons because they were in the right? car. So right. this was my only time. So she made a break <gasps> for it and ran towards the car oh, and right. she survived. He ended up ditching her and ran out into the woods. And that's when he right. went on the lamb. That's when the manhunt started. Right. Oof. I'm getting chills. Uh -huh. I'm just, I'm yes. having memories. <laughs> I remember I'm like, I just, I'm on Plasky highway. I feel like it's raining because whenever I'm on Plasky highway, it's raining. Yeah. And I'm picturing one of those disgusting no-tell motels yes, that they're famous for. <laughs> he ended up, I think, catching a train down to Virginia. Mm -hmm. okay. So he left the state of Maryland. I didn't realize that happened. Okay. So Friday, March 10th, 2000, police say that Pelzinski broke into a Virginia home near the train tracks. And he ended up mm -hmm. stealing more guns and a van. He took that okay. van in an attempt to drive mm -hmm. up to Maryland. Why? Why do you want to go back? 
because uh, he wanted to make Tracy pay. Yeah. Fucking idiot. The van ran out of gas. He was somewhere <laughs> around Woodford, Virginia, and he found a man named William Terrell, who was 53, and he brandished mm-hmm. his gun at him, and he said, you need to drive me out to Baltimore. And he initially refused, and he I'm like, hey, buddy, you head. can have the car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why don't you just take the car? I don't need to be there. But unfortunately, Mr. Terrell, you know, was carjacked and forced to right. drive him up there. Palzinski God. did say that he would promise not to kill him once they got up to Baltimore, which... Well, it doesn't sound like he wanted to kill men. It sounded like he wanted to kill teenage girls. Fair. Sorry. That is fair. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, Mr. Terrell did drive him up to Baltimore County, back up from Virginia. That is mm-hmm. where Palzinski forced Mr. Terrell to drive to the White Marsh Target. Stop this! The Target Stop! store in White Marsh. <laughs> where you used to work? Yes, where I used to work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now I'm picturing you when you're in your little red polo, and I'm coming in when you're working, and I want some popcorn, <laughs> a hot dog, and a soda because you worked at. The little concession stand. He went to that Target store and he went to the Dick's Sporting Goods store in that shopping center. Terrell was forced to buy camping gear and kind of like survivalist equipment for Kalzinski. So he did let him go after that, after he bought him those items. And the manhunt continued. And that's when a lot of the speculation started going around town. Mm -hmm. I swear I just saw him running through my backyard. Right. Right, I swear I could see him running through the woods. Those were happening left and right. And residents were captivated. They were terrified about what the fuck was going on. So they started arming themselves with baseball bats and loaded guns and sleeping with knives. You know, he was known to be an outdoorsman and he had survival equipment because Mr. Terrell did uh, bought him those things. Nowhere was safe for him, you know, for Mm -hmm. being just to see him. Outback, the outback of Dundalk. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Hiding. Absolutely is. So shit that I think that was like that Saturday and come Friday, uh-huh. March 17th, this right. was after Baltimore police. This is after FBI started putting up barricades throughout the city, doing God. checks, doing I like vehicle checks. They, um, they had Tracy in a secure location. So they knew it was either going to be her or her family. So they were already, oh. as far as I know, they were already at the family's house in Dundalk where the hostage took place. Oh my God. But what? if Palzinski somehow broke through those police barriers that were surrounding the Dundalk home of Tracy's mother, Lynn, Lynn's boyfriend, mm-hmm. Andy, and their 12-year-old oh son, Bradley. And apparently, young Bradley let Palzinski into the house not knowing the danger that he posed. And that's how oh, he was able to on, get Brad. in. Come on, kid. He was our age. Oh my kid. Like, he was 12. Oh, God, that's right. He was our age. <laughs> yes, he was. So Bradley let him in, and this is what started the 97-hour standoff and hostage Mm -hmm. situation. Okay. Just give, like, you're going to get there in, like, a minute. I'm excited. I've got opinions, and I've got thoughts about what happens. We are unloading it all. Okay. 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 So that happened on Friday. The standoff was Mm -hmm. continuing. Here we are on Sunday, March 19th. This was after mm-hmm. days of negotiations and requests from Palzinski yep. wanting to talk to Tracy. The police did not comply with his request for Tracy because they figured, A, this is the only thing that he was asking for. And B, right. if they were to acquiesce, there's no telling that he wasn't just going to like kill Lynn while he was, he was on the phone with her. Of course. 
So the police were like, right. no, we're not. No, Joe, we're not going to do that to no. you. No, no Joe. <laughs> no, hon, you're not going in. Sorry. <laughs> so throughout this whole time, this stretch of Dundalk where this siege was taking place, mm-hmm. police began to ferry out some residents two at a time in armored police vehicles to their safety. Wow. They were made to shelter in a nearby elementary school. They were not allowed to stay in their houses, of course. I do remember that. I remember yeah. that part on the news. I remember people, like, they were, like, interviewing people, like, from that, like, school. Interviewing people? I hate you. No, it's coming yeah. out because we're talking. I yes. know. I know. <laughs> Side note, as they were faring out the uh, residents in that neighborhood, mm-hmm. many residents had pets. Baltimore police those fun loving bunches oh god I they took about up this. shop in a house nearby that had a barking dog so the tactical unit pop pop that dog shot it dead i forgot about that that's absolutely right Monday, <laughs> March 20th. <laughs> God, uh... More shots were heard coming from who's, the house. Whose side are we on? That's uh, the question There's, du jour. You know, I'm on Tracy's for here? <laughs> I'm on Tracy's side. Yeah, that's conceivably the only I guess, side. I guess. So here we are on Monday. More shots are heard, including shots fired that were inside of the home. Which Palzinski told the hostage negotiators that he had shot one of the uh, hostages, which later turned out to not be true at all. I was going to say, I didn't think any of them got shot. No, no, no. Yeah. Okay, okay. Come Tuesday, March 21st. They talked to Palzinski until 9.45 p.m. And Mm -hmm. at about 10.20 p.m., Lynn and Andy, the adults in the hostage situation, decided to take mm-hmm. things into their own hands. Yeah. They laced a glass of iced mm-hmm. tea with Xanax. And yes, they gave it to Pazinski, which made him fall asleep. Yes, they did. And this is when Andy McCord fled out the front window alone. And although he yep. made a lot of noise in his panicked escape, mm-hmm. Pazinski did not wake up. He was sleeping in the living room, by the way, on the couch. Guess who else didn't wake up? You'll get to it. We'll get to it. Lynn (laughs) also escaped out the window, the living room window, after her boyfriend Honey, who slept? Oh, I think it was the 12-year-old kid. The 12-year-old kid that they left in the house, both of them. They left him sleeping on the kitchen floor, and they made a calculated risk. (laughs) They did. They They just were like, fuck you. They justified it. What good is he if we're dead? (laughs) They justified it. They said, look, like we made a risk because no, I know. we were not I know. It's sure with trying to wake up this 12-year-old kid that he wasn't going to, you know, cause disturbances, woozy, like, where are we? Why are we doing this? Blah, 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 blah. Mm. Because he was mm-hmm. sleeping in the living room. So they left him there. Objectively, I can understand. However, having been a 12-year-old uh-huh. in Baltimore at uh-huh. the time, uh-huh. I was a little offended. A little bit. I'm even more offended once I realized what happened afterwards. <laughs> Very shortly after the two oh, adults escaped from the living room window, yep. they were like, wakey, uh, wakey. cops, it's your time to shine. We left our kids in there. So the cops yeah. were like, shoot. So they busted through the door. 12-year-old kids still sleeping in the kitchen. All being live cast on TV, mind you. The police ran through the door and Mm -hmm. according... I can like picture it. According to Baltimore police, Mm -hmm. Joe 
was sleeping on the couch and he was sleeping either on top of or his rifle was on his stomach as he was sleeping. But either way, the cops claimed that he did reach for his gun to shoot them, which they opened fire first, shooting 27 bullets into Joseph Palzinski. Again, while that 12-year-old kid was in the kitchen from the living room. Like, I mean... (laughs) Do you want to talk about trauma and being traumatized? I'm thinking about the 12-year-old who got left behind. Absolutely, 100%. Yes. I guarantee you, if he has any sense, he never let anyone live that down. No, (laughs) ma'am, Pam, yes. (laughs) An autopsy after Pazinski was riddled with bullets found that he had no traces of drugs or alcohol other than the Xanax in his system. And it's believed that Tracy is still living in Maryland Hopefully, and that is a big, hopefully with a capital H. She did not. (laughs) She didn't get out of Dundalk? No. I looked her up on Facebook. She's still, you know, she's still living there. Hopefully she's found some sort of peace from this throughout this ordeal. Uh, So, shit. That is Joe Pazinski. I had no eye. Yeah. Our alma mater. <laughs> the White Marsh oh, Target God. where I used to work. <laughs> right? This is just like, let's do all of where my family where lived. your family's from. <laughs> this hit way closer to home than I ever imagined when I pulled it uh, up. It, like, I knew it happened like 20 minutes away, but I had no idea. It was literally like he went to our high so school. That's, that's the story of Joseph Palzinski. Joby Palzinski, man. A spree Joby. killer. A manhunt what? enthusiast. A barricader in chief. <laughs> he did it twice. 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 Okay. Okay. Yes. So this week, uh-huh, this, uh-huh. me, I'm spoopy. Yes. So this is sort of like two-parter. I wanted Ooh. to do a story of something I was sort of mildly obsessed with a few years ago, but there's just, it's not enough for like a whole story. Okay. So then I kind of segued into something else. And I'm going to go over the main topic and then I'm going to bring you in to the funny, ridiculous shit that brought me here. Nice. All right. I'm so here for it. All right. So picture it. In 2009, a Uh year after Li Chaolong died of leukemia in China's central Henan province, Uh his mother finally found a bride for him from the same village who was only hours away from dying of kidney failure herself. Huh? The bride uh-huh. the bride passed away shortly after, and the very next day, their families had a wedding slash funeral for the couple who were both dead and had never met, and they were buried together in his family's grave. The groom's family was thrilled because the family elders up until this point had forbade his mother from burying him because he was unmarried. If they did so, it would bring bad luck to his grandmother who was still alive had he been allowed to be buried in the family grave Hmm. meanwhile the bride's parents were thrilled because if the marriage had not been arranged for their daughter as a woman she would have never been able to have been formally buried anywhere at all the families were participating in the ancient chinese tradition of minghuen or ghost marriage Ooh, okay do you know anything about her? No, ma'am. All right. Well, let's take a little journey. But it's two of my favorite things put together. Ghost weddings. 
ghosts and weddings. Nice. Well, Kevin, maybe it's not too late to change your wedding to the a whole ghost theme. theme. Oh shit! Yeah. yeah, you still got time. I do. I have a couple months. Believers in the custom, which has been practiced for three thousand years, approximately say it ensures the unmarried dead are not alone in the afterlife. Originally, the weddings were strictly for the dead, a ritual conducted by the living that would wed two single deceased people. Though outlawed for hundreds of years, it has been continually practiced in parts of rural China, usually in the northern provinces Mm -hmm. through the present day. It happens all the time still. In traditional Chinese culture, Mm -hmm. it was shameful to be the parents of an unwed daughter, Mm -hmm. and unmarried girls were often shunned from society, so their parents would arrange a minghuan, which is spelled M-I-N-G-H-U-N, which I googled how to say it, and I'm I'm sorry if it's wrong. Minghuan. Sounds good to me, and I am Mm, an expert, yes. So they would arrange um, a ghost marriage uh, to a deceased man to alleviate their shame of their stupid unmarried daughter. (laughs) I just, I can't imagine the shame I would be bringing upon my family had I I lived in a different country and a different, for so many reasons. Like I'm actively bringing shame now. (laughs) That's not true. That is not true. That's not true. Once I went to law school, I was absolved. That is true. (laughs) Just kidding. My family likes me fine. Allegedly. Kevin? hmm Watch it. Sometimes it was arranged with a matchmaker. It was arranged just between the families on their own or with a feng shui master, which okay. I still can't work out. I, I don't know how they got involved. Yeah. But in the case where, like, a woman whose fiancé died, a bride could choose to still go through with the wedding, mm-hmm. in which the groom was represented by a white cockerel. AKA a white chicken. What did you call me? A cock earl. Called me a white cock. cock mm-hmm. Well, I don't I mean, appreciate that. Am I wrong? No. Calson is the season. <laughs> um, so say it's a thousand years ago and I'm a lady getting married to a dude. <laughs> and he <laughs> right, laugh. <laughs> and he dies. My option is to then go through with the marriage and the actual ceremony is me getting married to a chicken. But, you know, there's no way to talk about your husband. (laughs) The problem is that some girls were hesitant because a ghost marriage required her to participate in the funeral ritual. (laughs) Funeral (laughs) ritual. The rural juror. However, some of the girls were hesitant because ghost marriage required her to participate in the funeral ritual, take a vow of celibacy, and immediately take up residence with his family. (laughs) Shacking on up. I don't know why they were hesitant. I don't know. I don't know why they're so hesitant. um, Because (laughs) it's stupid. Also in Chinese, right? Also in Chinese custom dictates that a traditional. I'm not saying these are still a part of mm-hmm. culture today, but traditionally, younger brothers could not marry before elder brothers. Mm-hmm. So what's a bro to do when his older bro dies unmarried? A ghost marriage. A ghost marriage. So a ghost marriage for an older deceased brother may be arranged just prior to a younger brother's wedding to avoid incurring disfavor of the brother's ghost. I would love to know who is shelling out these disfavors. That's what I would like to know. It's the Confucian family values that 
Is that a a reality show on VH1? (laughs) (laughs) It's like Hogan knows best, but with Confucius. Yeah, yeah, basically. So, um, yeah, it's just like old, thousands of years old family tradition. Mm. So in that case, the ghost marriage allowed the family's lineage to carry on because the spouse becomes the, quote, social instrument for I the don't family, like that. Mm-hmm. the spouse, aka the woman, mm. became the social instrument to enable the family to adopt. So I just want to pause here. She is now not adopting a child. His parents are adopting a grandchild. Okay. And okay. I know that when I was researching it, that delineation was made. So mm-hmm, I'm making mm-hmm. it here. Understood. And so I don't know if that child who's adopted, I don't know if they have any relation to the woman who got married because they're referred to as the adopted grandchild, not the adopted child. So it, it very mm. well may be, but because she's a woman and her husband is deceased, I don't know if that means that she just has no part in it, but it's described as the parent's grandson. And as that person, his duties were to make ancestral offerings on his birth and death dates, and he was entitled to inherit from his foster father's share of the family estate. Because heaven forbid his wife be able to get the family estate. Heaven forbid, indeed. Idiot. You need a dick (laughs) to have some... Common sense. You need a D-Y-I-C-K. Yes. (laughs) Um, According to history professor Ping Yao, different forms of ghost marriages are arranged in different provinces Mm -hmm. in China. So ghost weddings are most common in the northern provinces, as I said, where there's coal mining industries are really big. So a lot of women have left those areas. They migrated out of those areas. And the men who are left work in this highly dangerous job, you know, dealing with coal mining. So in, please forgive me, in the Shanxi, Shanxi. spelled Mm S-H-A-A-N-X-I province, afterlife marriages emphasize matching the deceased. So two deceased people getting married, the idea is that they, as deceased people, will now have a happy afterlife because they are not losers and single. Right. And then there's the Shangxi, which is spelled the same way, but with only one A. So Mm -hmm. S-H-A-N-X-I province. The marriages are arranged so that deceased bachelors can be buried in their family cemetery. So deceased men are married to living women. And then in the Hebei, spelled H-E-B-I province, mm-hmm. Hebei province, children actually marry their parents mm-hmm. after death. So they arrange marriages for parents after they die. So folklore Oh, expert, you mean like they, they marry off their parents? Because Yes, like, yes, okay. yes, yes. Mm-hmm. At Instead first I thought you said the children marry their parents. And I was like, what? Oh, no, no, no. I may have said that. No, 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 no. Nothing, nothing weird like that. <laughs> Instead of parents marrying for children, children are marrying off their parents. Yes. Cool. Okay. And then folklore expert Huang Jinchun from Shanghai University told Chinese media earlier in early 2017 that practitioners find the tradition very normal and are surprised at the surprise of other people. 
Mm. No one tries to hide the practice or not to talk about it. People are surprised that this is a subject that can be researched because it just seems so commonplace. He even said that taxi drivers all had their own firsthand experience in arranging such marriages or have witnessed a ghost marriage wedding being held by neighbors or friends. So it's just in certain rural parts of China, this is very, very common. Mm, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And in a ghost marriage ceremony, many of the same typical marriage rites are observed However, since one or more of the parties are dead, they're represented most often by effigies made in paper, bamboo, or cloth. The bride and groom may be constructed of paper or like a paper mache bust is made sometimes. The bride was always treated as though she was alive and participating in the proceedings. One observable difference in a ghost marriage and a regular marriage is the ancestral tablet of the deceased is placed inside the effigy Uh so that the bride's dummy is animated with the ghost that's to be married and then placed with the groom's family tablets at the end of the festivities. And the tablets, I think we've seen them like in in movies and stuff. They kind of look like metal long bookmarks and they have like writing on them. And they're usually just kept like all of the tablets of the family of the ancestry are kept together. Do you want to hear part of the ceremony? I absolutely do. So whoever is officiating, they say, okay, so in this it says so-and-so and and that's (laughs) just to refer to some person, I guess. So it says so-and-so, I hereby inform you. You died at a young age and thus did not realize the great principle of marriage. That's not her fault. She died. (laughs) You slept alone in the dark world and lacked the intimacy (laughs) of a man and a woman. (laughs) Just as living people long for companionship, the dead fear loneliness as well. Unexpectedly, so-and-so's family had a daughter who just passed away like an autumn leaf. (sighs) We sent a betrothal for you so your souls might meet. We selected this auspicious day for the rite of your union. We set out an offering next to your shrine tablet furnished with all kinds of food. Please send your spirit down to the banquet and eat the meal. That's the prayer. Okay. Did you know that you're dead? And did you know that you have, you lack intimacy in your dark world of sleep? In death and in life. And we have to clean up the mess that you made. Right. However, in current times, there's a dark trend associated with Minghuen because it's very lucrative business. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are huge numbers of young unmarried men working in coal mining where fatalities are high and China is currently struggling with a gender imbalance problem. Oh, yes. Oh, um, yes. By the end of 2017, there were 32 million more women than there were men. So in response to that, there is a black market of female corpses that has appeared in provinces of Shandong, Shangxi, and Shangxi. Uh-huh. A hospital employee was quoted in Chinese media as saying, once the news of a young girl dying spreads, not that she has died, but that she is dying. Once that news uh-huh. spreads, tens of families who have lost their sons rush the Fives ho- of tens of families. It just, that's what it said. I'm, it's a quote. I know. And I feel I like just it could have of- been said better. <laughs> yeah. I just think of Karen Walker, yes. where she talks about fives. Jack having fives of tens, tens. of fans. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, tens of families would rush the hospital to start an auction war. Quote, usually when the auction is over and the girl's family promises to deliver her body to the winning parents, the girl is still alive. That is cold. What if she was like conventionally unattractive and mm -hmm. people are like, oh, it does not matter. It yeah, that's what I mean. They didn't want her in life, but they sure as hell want her dead. Even when the living are married, that is not at all an issue because uh -huh. there is such an imbalance. It does not matter what the woman looks like, what her intelligence is. It doesn't matter as long as she can make babies. Hmm. Hmm. So in 2015, it was reported that 14 female corpses were stolen in one village in Shangxi. Mm -hmm. Villagers said tomb raiders stole the bodies to make money. A man arrested in Inner Mongolia told police officers that he murdered a woman so he could make money by selling her body to a family looking for a ghost bride. In 2016, police in northwest China charged a man with murdering two women with mental disabilities and sold each body for $8,300 for ghost marriages. Three men were detained after the body of one of the women was found in their vehicle by traffic police. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The investigation led them to uncover that the man allegedly promised the women he would find them grooms, instead killed them so he could sell their corpses. So he didn't really lie, I guess. I guess not. Doesn't sound like that. Mm -hmm. Even corpses of married elderly women have become targets for the illegal trade. In 2019, some graves in the Henan province resorted to putting CCTV cameras on graves and putting bodies in concrete coffins. 30 years ago, it reportedly cost about $1,000 to buy a corpse and host a ghost wedding. A matchmaker who had been in business since the 1990s told Chinese media, by 2016, the matchmaker said that you can't buy a single bone for less than like 31 grand. So 2018, there were at least 12 prominent murder cases related to ghost marriages and more cases of kidnapping and grave robberies. It's important to note as of 2018 anyway, which was the article I was reading was written in 2018. Um, as of 2018, there's no regulation that specifically outlaws ghost marriages or the selling or buying of corpses in China. China doesn't get to have all the fun. There's notably a few other countries um, France, posthumous marriage in France is legal, but must be approved by several civil servants. I'm sorry, several civil servants. Say that and the three times fast. <laughs> I can't, I can't <laughs> even say it. And the family of the deceased. It says that uh, posthumous marriage for civilians originated in the 1950s when a dam broke and killed 400 people, including a man named Andre Kapara, mm -hmm. who was engaged to Irene Jodar, who pleaded with French President Charles de Gaulle. I can't, mm. I can't, to let her go along with her marriage plans, even though her fiance had died. She had support from the media, and within months, she was allowed to marry her deceased fiance. So that's how that started. And you can do it to this day in France. South Africa, this, so I wrote, this is not a cultural phenomenon, but just a fucked up story. In 2004, a man in South Africa shot his fiance and then himself during an argument. 
So they both died. (laughs) The two were later married because the families and friends of the couple wanted to remember them as a happy couple and marry their families together. And because in African culture, death is instead thought of as a separation of body and soul, they allowed it. Um, what is what were her parents? I have questions. Thinking? Yeah, I have so many questions. Were they just wanting to overlook the murder of their daughter, or I don't know what the benefit was because unless they believed that this was going to help them in the afterlife, it doesn't say that. But then mm. there's not a lot of information about it. Sure, but I'd be pissed if I was her. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and that's really it. I mean, mostly it was talked about how, I mean, the weddings are for the living. They're to ease, you know, it's part of like the bereavement process for families. You know, it's more so something like that. But I mean, it's really picked up in recent years and not just in China, um, in Taiwan, Singapore, a lot of Asian countries, they've, there's been a significant like uptick. And they only know because it's a result of Women now being murdered, being kidnapped, <laughs> being whatever. Wow. Notice that, like, I didn't women? find any stories of, like, men being murdered so yeah. women could marry them. But... Women are just so... I'm so ex- scared about what you're going to say. No, they are so <laughs> exploited on this planet. It is <laughs> in so many unique Ways that men will never experience? I guess it could be confusing to hear about. It's confusing <laughs> and and it's creepy. <laughs> it's very creepy. So the story that really brought me to this, the story uh-huh. I wanted to do that there's just not about. Okay, a few years ago, I became obsessed with this person. Her name was Amanda Sparrow Large Teague. From Ireland, she married the ghost of Jack Robert Teague, who she claimed was the real-life Captain Jack Sparrow. (laughs) She was working as a medium and a Jack Sparrow impersonator when the spirit came through. Come through, Yes, and she didn't believe it because she's like, "Mm, he's not even a real person. So she thought a different ghost was pranking her. (laughs) Not that it wasn't real. But she was being pranked by a different ghost. She found out that Jack Robert Teague was a real person. He was executed in 1752 because he was a prolific pirate. And she said, I communicated regularly with, with Jack. He was easy to communicate with and I enjoyed his company. In fact, after a while, I just opened myself up to allowing him to come and go in my life. Whenever opened he yourself pleased. up. I liked having him around. Come and go. Uh-huh. Oh, no, she has been quoted as saying ghost sex is just as fulfilling as human sex. She fell in love and wrote a book called A Time You Will Remember, a real book that you can buy on Amazon, a fictionalized version of her relationship, but sadly it didn't last. Oh. 2018, <laughs> she got divorced <gasps> ghost because divorce. his spirit was just too... He wasn't who he said he would be, and it drained her completely, and she'll never recover. Wow. Poor that lady. That's the story I wanted to do. They're just, poor Amanda, no longer Sparrow. (laughs) So you gave me ghost weddings and ghost divorce. (laughs) Yes, I did. You went full circle. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Damn. And apparently a ghost divorce isn't easy because once you let somebody in like that, it takes a while to be able to keep them out. I could only imagine. Yeah. Miss, that was a fantastic story. Thank you. Kevin, that was an incredible story from you. I learned you. so much of a story that I thought I knew about. <sighs> I've been had- sitting on that story for a couple weeks <laughs> once I realized I wanted to do it. And I was like, oh my God, Miss is going to flip. When I found I, out I that did. they went to our high school. <laughs> I, can't, I can't get over it. Look at us. Episode 12. We're talking about ghosts. We're talking about ghost marriage, ghost divorce. We're talking about murder sprees. We're talking about manhunts. We're talking murder about targets that we used to work at. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that we, we got to walk down memory lane a little bit today. Yeah, no, it's a good one. <laughs> and listen, Boo, in the afterlife... If we're both unmarried. Yes. Let's do yes, it. Yes. Let's do it. So where can they find us, miss? They can find us on Instagram at creepy inquiries pod. You yes. can send us an email, creepy inquiries pod at gmail.com. Yup. Our website also you can visit is creepy inquiries pod.com. <laughs> and we have Facebook. That's creepy inquiries. Mm-hmm. If you like what we're doing, it is a little rate or review or both, but I'm having a lot of fun. Yes. I'm glad you're here so to too. be with us. I am so glad you guys are here and we are so happy that you are listening. We cannot wait to release next week's episode nope. as well. New episodes every Wednesday. And what we see at the end of every episode. <gasps> Goodbye. <gasps>